Agents Podcast. This episode of the Lab Code Agents Podcast is brought to you by RedX, the complete real estate prospecting solution. RedX offers high quality lead data on expireds, for sale by owners, vacant rental property owners, pre foreclosures, and geo leads, the number one data source for neighborhood prospecting. You can also filter, organize, and call your leads inside Vortex, the all-in-one lead management platform, free with any lead subscription. With RedX, you get more than just phone numbers. You get all the tools you need to connect with more homeowners who are actively looking to sell. RedX is offering our listeners $150 off. Just go to redx.bz forward slash LCA. That's R-E-D-X dot B-Z forward slash LCA to sign up for RedX today. Lab Coat Nation. Tristan and I interviewed some of the biggest social media talents in the world during our two Social Genius online events, and we wanted to share those interviews with you. Our guests share incredible ideas and expertise, which they leverage to grow brands, increase engagement, and create opportunities. And they offer suggestions that agents can implement in their real estate business today. Enjoy. We've interviewed Brandon a few times, and every time I talk to this guy, we learn something new to apply to social media. So, Brandon, thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know you, he's a best-selling author of those two books I mentioned, Hook Point, A Million Followers in 30 Days. He's an amazing human being. And on top of that, he's a marketing genius. He probably doesn't refer to himself as a genius, but Brandon... You're a pro, bro, and I appreciate you being here. He's helped out people like Taylor Swift and Katie Kirk and Rihanna. We'll put up a link to the site. You can take a look at it. And I'm in the middle of of hiring him for our companies. So, Brandon, just be patient with me. I'm almost there, man. So thanks for being with us. Brandon. Yeah, it's a pleasure to connect with everybody, and thanks for everybody for joining. Let's let's make it happen, bro. I'm going to start off with one question, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Your latest book, Hook Point, it starts off with you letting us know the importance of why we need to hook people quickly. And what do you think that that time is? Is it shortening up? Because Jeff and I are are big on TikTok and on Reels. Do you think that three-second span is shortening to two or even one second? Where do you see that going? Yeah, I, I think it depends on a number of of different variables. I mean, it can be as le- little as less than a second. It could be three seconds. It just de- really depends the the state of mind that the person is in on social media. So, how many posts have they just consumed? Did they just get on social media? Have they been on it for thirty minutes? You know, what are they specifically looking for? So, when we're looking at that three second rule or less there's a number of different variables that we're taking into consideration with it. And obviously our whole purpose is to just stop the scroll and then stopping the scroll uh, or in the case of YouTube, a lot of the, the, the traffic comes from suggested video. In that case, it's earning the click. But re- what we're trying to do is use visual cues to just get them to stop to say, Hey, you should spend a few more seconds with this post to allow us the opportunity to win further attention for you. So I wouldn't think of it as like a super hard rule as three seconds. It could be less uh, in some instances more, but it's, it's really about how you design your message to first just communicate 
that this is a post that's worth stopping for. And that can come in many different variables. It could be colors. It could be movement. It could be text in the form of a headline or a meme card. Uh, so it, it really all depends. Now, I will say the biggest mistake that people are making in those first three seconds is they feel like they need to convey the entire message up front. And that either overwhelms people or it's, or it's just you're giving away too much in the beginning that they're like, well, I already know what this is going to say, so I'm going to move on. Mm -hmm. All right. So with that, you also have a formula. The last time I interviewed you for the success podcast, you mentioned that there are these five things we need to watch out for, or maybe six, I don't remember, but I remember, I remember three specifically. So build off of that. And it was the three F's, which you said, we need to focus on facts, fun, and feeling. Those were like the main things. What else is part of that? Because you did a you did a lot of research behind exactly the things we need to include when we're creating these videos or content. Yeah. So how about uh, I set the stage so it kind of provides a little bit more context to that? Perfect. If that'd be cool for you, do that. Please. Is it is it okay if I uh, share my screen for a few minutes? Definitely, man. Let me know if you can too. Okay. Cool. Can you guys see my screen? I got it. Yep. Yeah. So. I just want to kind of set the stage to provide a little bit more context to what you're talking about, Tristan. So it, it, it provides a little bit more detail, but you know, typically where we see brands failing when it comes to social media is they're using traditional marketing tactics that really don't adjust for the way that the world has shifted around it. They don't adjust for the fact that that communication has drastically changed and the reason it is, is if we think pre-social media, there's probably, it's safe to say there's a million content creators on the planet that are reaching the masses because uh, content distribution was heavily regulated. To reach the masses, you had to go through newspapers, magazines, television stations, and radio stations. So it really limited the number of content creators that were operating on that level. So we fast forward to today in 2021, now there's 3.96 billion content creators on the planet. Yes, that's billion with a B. And every single one of them is creating content that's unique and valuable in their own way for the people that mean the most to them, family members, loved ones, you know, siblings. And like it or not, we are now competing directly with all of them. We're no longer living in a world where we just have to compete with our competition. We have to compete with every piece of content that's created by Kim Kardashian, Gary Vee, who you mentioned, Jimmy Fallon, uh, every teenage influencer and their friends. Uh, so it makes it truly difficult to stand out. And it really sucks for brands that are trying to stand out and make waves. And again, we do this all the time with companies that are pre-revenue all the way up to $25 billion a year in revenue. And we find that brands uh, and individuals Oftentimes it feels like they're just starting fire pits and burning uh, money, trying to find the best ways to connect with their core audience. So it's just fascinating to see because I remember when I first started in this game back in 2005, digital marketing spend was at 12 billion. That was digital marketing, everything included in digital. You fast forward today, social media alone, there's going to be $110 billion spent. So I like to use this analogy. So if we go back to science class, uh, if 
you want to put something into orbit, you have to reach what is called escape velocity. Otherwise, your satellite, your spaceship, whatever it is, will fall back down to Earth. The same things apply when you're marketing your product in today's world. You have to overcome the billions of competing messages that are sent out into the world every single day. So that's where we have, over the past um, 16, 17 years of doing this, we found that there's a real physics to delivering a message. So the first part, and what we were just talking about in the first part of this is grabbing attention. You've got to stop the scroll. You got to earn the click because without attention, you get lost in the noise. But it's not just about grabbing attention because the days of clickbait are really over. You know, you have to actually hold that attention. And we could talk about why, because with the algorithms, they're really getting smart to how content needs to be designed to serve their underlying business goals. So attention without substance, as we know, really has no value. I mean, just think about the amount of times that you were tricked into clickbait, you get there and there's nothing relevant. You're like, screw this, I'm out of here. And then also though, we have to monetize that attention. It has to play to our overall business goals because all the attention in the world really means nothing unless you turn it into some type of KPI that is meaningful for your business. And most of that is through monetization. Now, this process, it isn't easy, but it is pretty simple. Just grab attention, hold attention, and monetize that attention. And that's where real scale comes from in, in marketing in today's world. So we have Hookpoint, which is the core premise of the second book, and it's even talked about in the first one, but we see it as a way of thinking. It's a way of standing out. It's a way of doing business so that you can break through the noise, stand out, uh, and monetize with clarity, intent, and purpose. Uh, so just some of the things that we did, and you alluded to some of them, you know, we've used hook points to generate over 50 billion plus views and hundreds of millions of followers for our clients, uh, billions in, in revenue for our entertainment clients, hundreds of millions in e-commerce revenue. So getting down to the, like the, the question that you have is there's, a blueprint to successful hook pointers. So there's three key pillars that we have. So we have a viral content engineering process that's really designed to grab that attention. But then again, when we talk about holding attention, we have a communication algorithm. And that's what you're talking about, Tristan. And I'll dive a little bit deeper into that in a second. But then we have a lot of business innovation and ideation models that helps us monetize that attention so that you can really capitalize off of you know, this, this successful marketing. So, and I'm not gonna walk through all of these, but just to show you the layer of depth that we go into, and we can talk about each of these uh, deeper, uh, but we, we really dive into each of these core disciplines uh, in a very detailed way. So let's move into what you were just talking about with those, those five different things. So. We find that, that most brands are often failing with their message because they're connecting with less than 30% of their target audience. Uh, so with that, we've, we've really turned marketing communication into math. So as you see here, there's, there's, there's six ways that people perceive the world and it's broken down into percentages. So 30% really perceive the world through feelings and emotions. So they're making decisions on whether they're gonna connect with the message, sign up for an email list, buy a product or a service, hire somebody, 
based upon how it makes them feel. Now, 25% is really fact-based. So that's, you know, who, what, when, where, why. They want to know data. They want to know timeframes, information. Does it make sense to them? That is how they're going to make a decision. Now, 20% is fun. These people engage in the world, whether it is exciting, entertaining, fun for them. Uh, So they're often reacting to the world. If it's just fact-based or feeling-based, they're out because it just doesn't seem like a fun product to buy or to engage with. Now, 10% is values-based. It's all about trust, commitment, dedication, value. 10% is um, imagination, reflection-based. So they really reflect on the world. If you ever heard stories about Albert Einstein, his best ideas came because he would stare out in the window for hours on end, taking everything that he's learning in. And then 5% is action-based. So they don't think, they don't feel, they don't believe, they just go. They make it happen. Have you ever seen Mission Impossible and Tom Cruise? In that movie, he is just constantly running. He's just interacting with the world that way. So when we're working with clients, we typically focus on the big three, feelings, facts, and fun. Uh, Because with that, we reach 75% of the population. Now, with this, we're not really changing a client's message. We're just contextualizing it so that each of these different segments can really understand and and connect and take action on that message. So that's kind of just a high level kind of overview of how that that looks. And we look at communication from a a psychology standpoint. I love this, man. Um, Brendan, I have a question for you. Since since Tristan's muted, the when it comes to hooks, so I'm a video guy, right? And and to me, how you lead in your video is so critical. And I know this ties into posts. And I've got a two part question. You know, we we speak to a real estate crowd primarily, and the biggest mistake you always see is the typical "Hey guys" or you know "Hey, it's Jeff here." And I always tell people like that you're done. That's it. If that's how you let in, you're done. Like they're not going to stick. They're not going to stick with it. They're going to scroll, right? And so, as it pertains specifically to video, I want to hear it from you. Like, how do you advise people? So, if I say, you know, Brendan, I've got this. I'm going to be standing at a new listing or an open house or whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm talking about. What should I do? Like, how should I lead into my videos? And I would love for you to share with our audience how critical it is for them to lead in correctly versus the typical intro or just happy, happy, happy Wednesday, right? What is your take on this? Yeah. So there's, there's multiple layers to answering that question. And, and, I, and I really appreciate you bringing it up because it is a huge mistake that people make with their content. Uh, first and foremost, like you pointed out, uh, most people misunderstand the purpose of social media. And this is something that I learned from working with Taylor Swift very early on because she was a master of this. Social media is not a one-to-many platform. Yes, it is not a one-to-many platform. It is a one-to-one platform. When people are consuming social media, they are by themselves. They're on a train on the way to work. They're laying in bed. They're sitting on their couch. It's not that they have thousands of people around them watching it with them in a, in a stadium or a, a theater. So when you say, point out those things, hey, everybody, 
who's everybody? I'm sitting here by myself. And you look at the number one influencers, and it was interesting because when you know I first started in in uh, in this industry in like 2004, 2005. Uh, there, there was a variety had did an article and influencers were, were on the rise and they asked young teens who their favorite celebrity was. And it was seven out of 10 were influencers. It was only like three was like Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert Downey Jr. And these people. And you may be like, well, why is that? Well, because these influencers connect on a one-to-one basis. They feel like they are your friends. They feel like, you know, them. Versus sitting in a movie theater or watching Netflix, it's a very passive experience. Whereas the best influencers, the best content creators make it an active experience. So you've got to cut that part out. Like you said, hey, everybody, who cares? I'm not with everybody. I'm here for me. Or happy Wednesday, who cares? Like I've got 50 other posts I can look at. So The first part is just really understanding in those intros, you have less than three seconds. So what is that thing that you can do to just get them to stop and pay attention to what you're saying? And again, that doesn't necessarily have to be verbal. It can be a meme card or a headline. It could even be an action on screen. Like maybe somebody walks onto the screen and does a backflip or or does something interesting that sets up for the story. Um, like you look at, you know, I know uh, D-Rock is going to be on here with, with Gary V. If you go watch his clips, like if he's doing an interview with somebody, they'll cut out the most impactful three to five second clips that will then introduce what is going into it. Um, so we don't have enough time to go into all the different variables of it, but I just want you to know it doesn't have to be verbal. I don't want you to to convey too much because you're going to overwhelm the person. In addition, you also have to make sure that you're contextualizing your message so it doesn't come off like people already know what you're going to say. So, um, for example, people get a little bit too on the nose and sometimes, and we don't do this all the time, but we talk about subverting expectations, especially with meme cards. Like when meme cards first came out, it worked for everybody because nobody was doing it. Now everybody does it. So you have to reinvent the way that you use it. So for example, if we're creating a video about meditation and you have a meme card that says meditation is the key to stillness or the key to release, uh, relieving anxiety, like these are things we all know. Now, even though this video may have a unique perspective on it, the minute that individual on the other side of the screen thinks they know what it's going to say, they're moving on. So if you were to subvert expectations, you may say something like, well, meditation is a scam to stop that scroll. Now, again, holding the tension, your message has to lead up to what you're saying. So if I were to have a meme card that says meditation is a scam, I may start off saying, hey, have you ever felt like meditation just hasn't worked for you? Like you're missing something. You're just not getting it. And it almost feels like a scam. Well, I feel your pain because I was that way too. But I met this, this um, Zen Buddhist monk, and he taught me these three p- principles that took me from a non-meditator that didn't believe in it, thought it was a scam, to somebody that now meditates every day for the past 10 years. So let's dive in. Another one, we had a video that went super viral because we subverted expectations that said, 
uh, don't sweat the small stuff or it was sweat the small stuff because it flipped that no, held known um, uh, statement on its head to sweat the small stuff. So we flipped it on its head. There was another one that went viral that said, warning, safety is dangerous. So what we were doing was we were flipping it to stop the scroll to then dive in to get that attention so that we can dive into the story that we were telling. Brendan, do you think that that the media does that well, like CNN and Fox? Because I feel like when you just said that, I'm like, hold on a second. This is how they hook me every time. <laughs> they do. So it yes and no. They do it. They're very good at stopping the scroll, earning the click. But what happens is oftentimes they're using the clickbait side of it and they don't hold the retention so that they then lose the trust of that person. Uh-huh. And thus, if it's any news outlet or, or publication, then if you start doing that multiple times and you click on that video or you watch that video and then you realize that it's not what they promised to deliver, then you automatically lose that trust. So I see this in YouTube because mm-hmm. I get seated a lot of sports commentary videos. And there's a lot of people that will re-upload content from other sources yeah. and they'll put an amazing hook pointer headline, but then you get in the video and it is nothing related. Like they'll say like one sports caster is going to talk about this and that person's not even in the video or they don't even talk about the thing that clicked you in. So yes, they're good at it, but they oftentimes lose a lot of trust and credibility and then lose audiences and that effectiveness as they abuse that. That makes sense. That's if like we said, Brandon Kane was going to show up today and it was just Jeff. <laughs> I'm just Wait, exactly. Which sounds simple, but that happens, you know, it, it, it happens more with like re-uploading content than anything, but it, it, it does happen. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So what are, what are some things that, as we have business owners here, whether it's solopreneurs or, or entrepreneurs listening in, what are some things that they should be paying attention to when they're looking to grow their influence on social media? Where, where would you say, hey, start here and continue on this path? What would that look like to you? There's a few different ways to go about it. The first place is understanding why you're doing it. What is the end result that you're hoping to get out of social media? And really benchmark your efforts against that. Because there's so many people that will buy like 1 million followers and they're like, well, I want a million followers. I want a bunch of followers. And I'll say, well, why do you want it? And they're like, oh, I want to go live on a beach or I want to make millions of dollars but they don't really understand like, how does it translate? Like, how are you going to take an audience and convert it into revenue? What are you going to sell? You know, what are you essentially offering at the end of the day? And I had to rewrite 1 million followers to really clearly delineate that. And and, and oftentimes when we're working with clients, uh, I'll ask that question first, if they come to me and say, I want you to help me generate a bunch of followers. And I'm like, why? They're like, well, I want to generate more leads for my business. I was like, okay, then why do we have to generate on, focus on generating followers and then focusing on getting those followers to then convert into paying subscribers or purchasing products? Why don't we just start with selling the product first, build that revenue, build that profit stream so you have a sustainable 
business engine that can then support the organic growth, the follower base. And, and it's really about setting up a sustainable foundation because this is hard work. This is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Like you have to, most people fail at this because they give up and they give up typically because it's not sustainable. They don't see the revenue. They have to work their day job. They have to find other ways to generate revenue and then they just give up on it. So that's base level. You have to start. The second place, uh, whether you want to go after organic and paid is really reference building and analyzing other content, other content creators, uh, other people uh, that are doing what you're doing. So, and I'll go back to um, share my screen. Let me pull up because I think it's uh, really important where most people um, are, are, are going wrong with this. It's, it's, it's super interesting because when we look at science, we leverage centuries of trial, error, and data. Whether we're creating new cures for things, um, new supplements, new treatments, we use data of years of, of trial and error. We don't just all of a sudden wake up and say, I'm just going to create a cure for cancer without studying anything else. That would be crazy. You, you, there's no way you would have success. And yet when it comes to content and social media, we're discarding millions of data points and results just so that we can be original. That, that's what we hear a lot. Well, I want to be original. I want to I really be authentic and stand out in, in a different way. So this is the way that we see most brands and people creating content. So it's really the common sense model. We have brand guidelines. So what, what our brand represents, tone, color palette, things like that, that then drives the, the creative ideation. And then from creative ideation, we go to monthly and quarterly content plans where people will plan out their content for the next month, the next quarter. They'll produce that content and post it, review the results monthly or quarterly, and then go back to creative ideation. Now, this doesn't work because it's minimizing the impact of data on creative. It doesn't really nurture the opportunistic and agile um, creative output to really take advantage of what's working now in the algorithms. And it's a completely reactive model. There's really no process in place for accountability. And this is really important when you have somebody managing your social accounts for you, iteration and growth based upon the results that you're getting back in real time. And it's almost just completely dependent on luck. So when people say, well, going viral is luck, it's not, it can be engineered. So this is the, the viral content engineering model that, that we've developed where it really merges creative with the scientific methodology. So research is the first place that you have to start. You have both paid and organic. You have to see what are other content creators in my niche in addition to outside of my niche, what are they doing? What's working? What is not working? How can we take those learnings to base and take that data to then create new hypothesis of what content we should create? What formats, what storytelling techniques, what calls to actions? And then through that high hypothesis building, then we go into ideation. But this ideation is now driven by the research and the data that we've collected. 
And then just as important, single iteration production planning, one piece of content at a time. So that when we post that piece of content where we have a clear hypothesis, then we can review the results, understand whether our hypothesis held true, and then start back all over in the research phase. So that's really where we, where we focus. Um, this foundation is, is built on research. It's built on what works instead of rather than the, the, the creator's affinities. So I just wanted to break that down because that is like one of the biggest areas that people struggle to have any type of success with social media is because they're not taking that, that, that engineering process to, to making decisions on what content formats to create, doing one at a time, taking those learnings for the next piece of content and next piece of content. Well, I think it's, it's also a challenge, Brendan, for most people to approach it this way when they're running a business because they think, well, it's just social media, right? They don't treat it like a business either. And you just showed, like, there's a lot of deep research that you do that goes behind actually making something like this very successful. And, and it's a challenge, man. So how is it that, that you would advise for, for people listening in to do this? Like, where do they start with the research? Do they do... Do they go in and take a look at not only the people in their industry, but do they also look where there's an opportunity or the weaknesses? How, how is it that they can approach this better? Well, when you say that it's a challenge, I would say it's a challenge to do it the other way because you're going to burn time and money and get no results from it. And one of the biggest things that, that we've seen is this is a quality over quantity game. This is not about posting every day. This is not about posting as much as possible because you're not going to learn in that way. Now, I'm not saying that you cannot be successful in that point. You can if you have a process to do follow what I just laid out in, in research, do the hypothesis building, that creative ideation off of that research, single iteration, production, and then reviewing those results. You can, but most people are just they're producing as much content as possible. They're not learning from it and they're not getting the results that they need. Now, you can start as simply as just focusing on the content you consume. If you go on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, just as a end user for somebody that's looking for content to be engaged, what content are you seeing that's causing you to stop the scroll? What content is going viral? What content's not? And start studying that and understanding, well, how can I apply this to my strategy? What formats should I focus on? Which format should I not focus on? It doesn't have to be a lot of work in the beginning. The most important thing is to just start the process. Uh, my creative director, director and I still to this day, pretty much every day we're passing references back and forth. Did you see this? Did you see that? Why did this work? Why did this not work? Going into Facebook ad libraries, studying uh, what other content ads are, are, how they're being structured. So I would pose that it's more of a challenge to do it the other way. And you're ultimately not going to get the results you're looking for. And you're going to burn yourself out and not maximize the potential uh, versus taking the approach that, that we've laid out. All right, Brandon, last question for you. And then I'll let you go. 
First, thanks, man. This you broke it down so well, and people are people are enjoying this on both ends here on the webinar and on the Facebook groups. So, last question here for you: When it comes down to giving an example, and let's just say for real estate agents, because we've got a few on here, when you're telling people, "Hey, stop the scroll," and this is what it would look like, what would that what would that look like in your mind? I'm asking you because I know you've spoken to thousands of real estate agents as well. So any ideas as to how to do that better? Well, I mean, one reference that comes to mind is Ryan Serhant, looking at his most viral content and how he structures his headlines and thumbnails. And you'll see other real estate agents have picked up on it and have been very successful with it. So one of the biggest principles is making your content digestible for the general audience. Because what, again, when we talk about the algorithms, the algorithms are really looking for two things. They're looking, are you stopping the scroll and are you holding attention? Because the algorithms make money based upon how long you stay on these platforms because they can seed you more ads. So they are going to prioritize content that holds attention for as long as possible and then deprioritize content that doesn't. So a huge mistake people make, especially like in real estate, for example, is they, they're designing their content for a very specific niche audience. And thus, when the algorithm tests pushing that content beyond their audience, they see it falls flat. It doesn't stop the scroll. It doesn't hold attention. So somebody like Ryan Serhant is making his content digestible and interesting for the general audience, but then still playing to his business goals. So that's why he'll go tour a $7 million closet, a $250 million property, even if he is not representing that. Because he knows the general audience, even though they can't afford those things, wants to see what it looks like. So the algorithms see, wow, this content is bringing in a general audience. When we test it, it's holding the attention. So let's push it to as many people as possible. And through that, instead of generating thousands of views, he'll generate millions of views. And then he knows out of those millions of viewers, maybe there's two or three people that could afford his services, afford the properties that he's representing. And he's even said he has sold 10, 30, $50 million properties through social media because he's using that tactic. That's, I, I love that. Jeff, any other questions? I think that's a wrap for Brandon, right? Yeah, I think we're good, Jeff. Plus, we're, we're losing your audio. Yeah. Brandon, thanks so much for being on, man. I really appreciate we, we need to. We need to have him, we need to have him again. <laughs> Dude, every Brent, anytime you know you're welcome, man. We love you. So, thanks for making the time. What's what time is it in London? It's about seven p.m. Oh, good. We made it before it got really, really dark. So, yeah. <laughs> thanks, man. And we put up the link there. Where would people be able to reach out to you if they have any questions for you? If they want to take a look at your book or what you have to offer, or even hire you? Uh, I would go to hookpoint.com. Uh, so I put the link in the chat there. There's a video that dives into it deeper. You can download that deck uh, that I was walking through. I just walked through a, a brief section of it. And if they're interested in, in working with us, they can schedule a call with, with our team. But that would be the, the best place to, to really start. I love it, man. Thank you so much again for your time. I love what you do. Keep on doing amazing things. If you liked what you heard, we would love to invite you to check out Drunk on Social for social media news, strategies, trends, and insights. You can follow in the Facebook group on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, or any of the other social media platforms.
Join us. Today's podcast is brought to you by Power ISA, the industry experts in real estate ISAs. Get more appointments. Make sure your follow-up gets done on time and you get the most out of your leads. Get a great ISA for real estate on your team and watch the results roll in. Power ISA has served over 1,200 agents in the U.S. and Canada since 2015, and it's the one-stop shop for everything you need to get a great inside sales agent on your team. Whether it's setting appointments with your internet leads or making outbound prospecting calls to help you get more listings, Power ISA can get it done for you. Visit PowerISA.com forward slash LCA to get started. That's PowerISA.com forward slash LCA. Lab Coat Agents Podcast.